Well, thanks, you guys. It's good to be here. You know, Caleb has been bragging about this service, uh, that this is, this is where the uh, really, really sharp people come, because I've noticed the other two services kind of flaky. And so that this is where it, it happens. I'm excited that, that you're here. I, you will think I'm making this up, and I'm not making this up, but I'm a, I have a Huntington Beach envy. I really do. I'm a, I live in um, South Orange County. I teach about once a month at Mariner's Mission Viejo. Um, but when I think about like where I want to live, it's always Huntington Beach. Anybody not, you're not Huntington Beach people? Okay. Okay, a couple. Or Fountain Valley or what? Seal Beach, Foothill Ranch. That's where I live. Why do you come all the way out here? Wow, that is not, no, I'm not going to start a church, never, uh, but yeah, so I live where you live, we're neighbors, and, but if I could live anywhere, it's Huntington Beach, not Newport, I know a lot of people go to Newport, they try too hard, Newport Beach people try too hard, a little snobby, but Huntington Beach, you guys are just, you're cool, you don't have to, you're just cool, and that's why Caleb is so good here. Because Caleb's cool, isn't he? I'm watching him give announcements, and he's just like flip-flops, his T-shirt's hanging out underneath. His... If I did that, you'd be like, hey, you're a sloppy old man. Tuck in your shirt. But Caleb's like, cool, announcements, trunk or treat. And, and it's why everybody in the Mariner's world is talking about this church. Because of Caleb's leadership, the way that he teaches, the way that he loves on people. And I know you know this, that you're blessed to be under his leadership and teaching. And I am honored to, um, you know, definitely not, not cool like Caleb, but I'm honored to um, have the opportunity to share with you a little bit. It was actually in Huntington Beach where um, one of the weirdest moments of my life happened. I was a youth pastor at Mariners Irvine for a dozen years back in the 80s, and there was a, um, two kids in the back of my Sunday school group, Joe and Dan, that they would sit in the back, never up front, never close, never engage. You can tell their parents were forcing them to be there. Joe and Dan, they dressed in all black. They um, had chains. They had spiky hair. They wore makeup, which was unusual for guys. Um, they had the low-rider pants, you know, the kind that I'm talking about. You just kind of want to tug them, they're down, you know, boxers up to the nipples. They were those, they were those guys. And I came in every Sunday morning, hey, Joe, hey, Dan. I extend my hand. They wouldn't shake it. They barely look up at me. I'm like, hey, you know, I know you come to church every week. If you, I'd love to get to know you guys. If you want to go out, I'll take you to a really fine restaurant. There's a Taco Bell across the street, you know. <laughs> And they looked at me like, you know, you are just another weird adult. Week after week after week after week, I would, hey, Joe, hey, Dan, if you ever want to get together, months go by, nothing. I'm going to kill them with kindness. Finally, I said, are you guys ever going to take me up on that offer? They said, yeah, but not on your terms, our terms. This is what they said. Friday night, Huntington Beach, 10 o'clock. <laughs> Bring a backpack. I'm like, all right. I mean, I didn't even ask questions. I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to hang with these guys and get to know them. And so, you know, our kids were a little time. We put the kids down. I tell my wife, I'm going to Huntington Beach. If I'm dead, uh, it's Joe and Dan. All right. I don't know if the backpack is for my body parts. I'm not sure. So I show up, and it's right over by the refinery. Some Is the rat nearby here? I came this way. I don't know. But anyway, there was a construction site where new homes were being built. 
And I show up there where they told me, and they have this pickup truck filled with hundreds of tennis balls. And we put the tennis balls in the backpack. We hop this fence into this construction yard, and then you just throw the balls at each other. That's the way you divide into two teams. And Dan and Joe brought four of their friends that looked like they were clones, like made in the garage, like same type of kids. So three and three, and Dan and Joe get the old guy. So we're running around, and what you need to know about these guys, they did not have an athletic bone in their body, okay? The way that I've described them is they could roll a tight joint, they couldn't throw a ball, all right? So they would like, they, just that type of thing. Now, I'm not like a superior athlete, but I played baseball in high school, and I was a catcher, so I have a good arm. So I am just like killing these guys, and I'm having so much joy in my heart, too, while I'm doing this. I'm actually thinking if I could have, you know, mastered in this when I went to graduate school, I would have got a degree in tennis ball throwing. Uh, and, and so they blow the whistle. Everybody's out of tennis balls. And the other guy's like, we want the old guy on our team. And the second round, I went rogue. I went Rambo. I just, it was me against all of them. I'm climbing into second stories of these buildings, and I'm throwing down on these guys like, you never pay attention when I speak? <laughs> Bam! You know, that type of thing. Then all of a sudden, a, um, a rent-a-cop car comes in the middle of this thing. And even years later, I still panic. I mean, I'm like hiding behind a chimney going, you know, I just imagine Orange County Re Register, youth pastor, arrested, you know, <laughs> tennis ball war, whatever it is. I'm just, I am like scared. I'm, everybody goes quiet. And then Dan takes a tennis ball and he throws it at the car. Bam! Hits the side of the car. First thing Dan has hit all night was the car, okay? <laughs> and then at that point, I go running. I run, I hop the fence. I think I've ministered to these kids long enough. Uh, <laughs> I get in my car, I drive to Irvine, I pull in the garage. We never pull in the garage. I'm like over toys, things like that, because I think <laughs> cops are chasing me. And I get in there and I look out the blinds to see, did I make it home? Okay. That was Friday night, two days later. Sunday hits. When I walk in, Dan and Joe are not in the back. I'm like, oh, after all that. I get up to speak. They're in the front row with their buddies. And as I start speaking, they reach into their boots, okay, and they grab tennis balls, and all six of them throw it at me. Only one hit me. And, <clears throat> and I ran into Dan last summer at a wedding. Dan is a principal to Christian school. He's a follower of Jesus. Um, caught up on some of the other guys. Some are, some aren't. One actually is Billy Graham, but I don't like to talk about that. Uh, so, and the reason I tell you that story, it's not just a Huntington Beach story. It's actually kind of a direction of where we're going today. Is that in order to reach Dan and Joe, I had to go to some place that was uncomfortable and, and foreign. And as we enter into part three of Love Where You Live, today what I want to challenge you to do, and you're going to, first you're going to go, I'm not doing it, Doug. I don't care how many stories you tell, I'm not doing it. Is I want to challenge you to have spiritual conversations where you live. You love where you live. If you really do love where you live, you're going to love the people in the marketplace, in the neighborhood, schools, different places. And to love them is actually to care about their spiritual condition. Now, you're going to go, oh, you want me to convert people. You want me to tell people about Jesus. Let me just help you understand this. Most people in our culture 
they are not afraid of spiritual conversations. They're not. They're afraid of Christians because, because Christians are weird. Okay? They're not afraid of talking about, about Jesus. And some of you are like, you know, this is a bad weekend for me to come. I don't talk about Jesus. I can keep my faith to myself. And let me just begin by a confession. I'm not very good at this either. I'm much better at this on stage. I can speak to hundreds, thousands of people on stage, and I do a fine job. Where's my guy from Foothill Ranch? What's your name? Bill. Bill. Let's just say, Bill, you don't like me. Okay, and you're like, you know, I wish Caleb was here. You know, this guy from, I don't drive all the way from Foothill Ranch to see another guy from Foothill Ranch. And so, you know, <laughs> so let's say Bill doesn't like me, all right? When he's in a crowd, guess what I do? See you, Bill. And I just turn. I just, I don't have to pay attention to Bill. That's why talking about Jesus in a crowd is so much easier than one-on-one. So I get it. I, it doesn't come naturally to me either. I have a friend. He's insane. He can talk to anybody about Jesus anytime with on a plane. He makes it a goal to have a spiritual conversation and talk about Jesus with whoever he sits next to. My goal when I'm on a plane, to fall asleep. I mean, that's kind of what I do. But he's like walking down the aisle of the plane. How are you? Good to see you. Great. Praise the Lord. Be healed, demon. You know, that's, that's the kind of guy he is. And I feel like in comparison, I'm a spiritual reject. So let me get this out of the way. We're not talking about strangers right now. We're just talking about loving where you live, having spiritual conversations with people you live with, family, friends, neighbors, people at school, your sphere of influence. Now, as I talk about that, how many of you still would say, Doug, if I'm really, really honest, that still freaks me out a little bit. Put your hands up. Let me see. Keep them up because I want you to look around. I want you to see that you are not alone. This freaks a lot of people out. Now, um, thank you for your honesty in doing that. Others are not so honest. Uh, but thank you for your honesty. What scares you a little bit? Talk to me. What scares you a little bit? Rejection. Number one answer today. What else? Turning people off. I heard something else. Conflict. Might create conflict. Stigma. What does that mean? They put you in a box. You're a Jesus freak. You're crazy. Okay, I get it. There it is. That's the other. You just pretty much name the top of all three services. Everybody has similar fears. Rejection. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to know the answers I get. Now, here's what we've got to come to grips with. You and I live in a tension. And the tension is here's fear. And here for those of us here, and I'm not assuming everybody is, but many of us in here are followers of Jesus. So now we live in this tension, don't we? That I'm afraid, but as a follower of Jesus, Jesus calls me to care for others' spiritual condition. Some of the last words of Jesus, look in your notes or up on the screen, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. So how do you do this without being pushy or phony or preachy? So here's my question to you. If I could help you have a spiritual conversation with somebody in a non-threatening way that is natural, focused on an agenda to love rather than on an agenda to convert, who would be interested in learning that? Okay, Because that's what we're going after. Now, there's a great example of us 
of this in a spiritual conversation. John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, great. If not, you've got an outline or the verses are up on the screen. Some of you have heard this or read this several times. Pray for new eyes. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 3, and I'm going to jump all around. I'm not going to read every single verse there. Um, John chapter 4, verse 3, it says this. So he, referring to Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now let me pause just for a second and show you a humor word. The humor word is the word had. He had to go through Samaria. Now it doesn't strike you. None of you are cracking up over that one. But let me just say, he didn't have to do that. As a matter of fact, no one went through Samaria. If you did any type of history work on the Samaritans, they were called the Samaritan dogs because they would inbreed. This is where Assyrians come from. And you read everything. People went around <clears throat> Samaria to avoid it. But Jesus, God in flesh, had to go there. Verse 6, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Since a Samaritan woman came, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, in that culture, ladies, it was the job of the women to draw the water. All right? It's not a sexist thing. It was a cultural thing at, at the time. They would draw the water. They would draw the water in the morning because that's when it was the coolest. And they would draw the water as a group of women. Why, ladies? Why would you go all together? Social, absolutely. It was a social event. We're all going to get some water. Last night I'm out to dinner with my wife and I and three couples, and one gets up to go to the bathroom. They all go, right? <laughs> Ladies, you travel in packs to do things because you can talk more, and it's just awesome. And guys tend to go to the bathroom alone. But ladies, you, you, it was a social event, and that's what we've got going, going on here. But this woman was alone at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because she wasn't accepted. She was an outcast. She didn't belong socially. She had a scarlet letter on, on her. In verse 9, it says this, The woman was surprised... For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now what I love about this is, <laughs> You are a Jew. <clears throat> why, why did she say you are a Jew? Anybody know? Because he was a Jew. Alright, it's not a trick question. That Jesus looked Jewish. In our culture in 2014, when Hollywood makes Jesus, doesn't make Jesus look like a Jewish person. It makes Jesus look like Caleb with long hair. Like, okay, handsome, tall, cool, flip-flops, untucked shirt. You know, that type of, type of thing. And if that was true, she would have said, oh, I'm a Samaritan, you are a Swede, Yahudi. Okay, but it didn't do that, all right? So Jesus is Jewish. And then here's what's surprised. Why are you surprised? Because Jesus did what many of us may have to do, and that is break barriers to have these spiritual conversations. Jesus broke pretty much every barrier. He broke the racial barrier. 
Jew versus Samaritan. He broke the gender barrier, male versus female. In that culture, that kind of communication wouldn't happen. Uh, third, a social barrier. She was shunned and she was, she was Im- immoral. And so Jesus broke all those barriers to engage in conversation. Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I, will, I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, I want you to see what Jesus did. He took something that was common to her, which is what? Water and thirst. He took common, water and thirst, and he created a spiritual metaphor. Now, I want you to think about thirst for a minute. If I mentioned the word thirst long enough, psychology would say that you would begin to get thirsty, and I won't put you in that punishment right now because I, am, um, I have a drinking problem. I have confessed it in a long time, but I have an addiction to Diet Coke. And I am 56 days and about three hours of stop, no, no Diet Coke. Does anybody have a, any type of drinking addictions? You don't have to be as specific as me. Anybody else? Would anybody be willing to share? Uh, a, lot of thai tea. a lot of Thai tea. That's gentle. That's <laughs> nice. I like Thai tea. Coffee. Yeah, I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. I don't, I, I hate the taste of it. But Diet Coke, I mean, even now, I'm just saying it. I mean, I just, I want it so bad. I, I drink two to three liters a day. <laughs> you just shunned me. I am, I didn't even finish two or three liters a day before lunch. Okay. Oh, I know. I know. I just I pass kidney stones weekly, but it's worth it. Uh, do we have any Diet Coke people in here? I'm just curious. Any Diet Coke people? McDonald's Diet Coke? Have you had this? That if, for Diet Coke people, first service had she she understood. She spoke my language because McDonald's they put crack in theirs, and it's just it is it's there's something special about that one, and uh, I'd actually give up one of my children for one right now, uh, but. <laughs> But here is the deal with this. I am, I'm trying to quench my thirst another way. For 56 days, I've been drinking iced tea. Does anybody drink iced tea that you like? love iced tea? Any lovers of iced tea? It's like water mixed with sand. And I just can't. I, I'm not even there. I flavor it with lemon and, and Diet Coke. Uh, so to try to just get it down. So As I'm reading this scripture this week in preparation to teach you, and he's talking about thirst and quenching it, I'm just, I mean, I am am going, I want this thirst quenched. Now, this thirst being quenched hits home for everybody. And when you think about spiritual conversations, you guys, everybody you have a spiritual conversation with is thirsty for something. People wake up thirsty for love, acceptance. Some, they wake up thirsty for power and fame and and money. They're thirsty for value. They're thirsty for respect. They're thirsty for 
for family, for recognition, you name it. Everyone is thirsty for something. So Jesus takes what's common to everyone and he says, I've got what will never make you thirst again. Verse 16, Jesus says, go and get your husband. The woman says, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> can you imagine the whiplash on that one? Can you imagine her just taking a sip of water and all of a sudden go, you know, how, you know, how do you know that? Okay, raise your hand if you've ever been caught in a lie. Been caught in a lie. Okay, you know how fast you're, those of you who are not raising your hand, you were just caught in a lie, all right? <laughs> You know how fast your brain works to try to get out of that, being caught in a lie. You're like, oh, oh, you know, watch what she does. It's great. Sir, verse 19, sir, you must be a prophet. Well, hello. Yeah, duh. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? What is she doing? This is called the classic redirect, right? <laughs> Jesus, is that, is that a squirrel? You know, let's, let's not talk about my sexual history. Let's, let's talk about something that's really been bugging me. Ancestral worship. You know, that has just always bothered me. And, you know, it is just that classic redirect. And you might find as you have spiritual conversations with people that you might say something that gets a little too close. And you watch body language. You watch word choice. You watch them shift and switch. That is just normal humanity. And here God is as human, right? Jesus, God, man, modeling to us a spiritual conversation. The woman said, verse 25, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? Now, I've read this story a hundred times since I was a teenager, and until this week, I never noticed this. The woman left her water jar beside the well. And I thought, how beautiful is God in his poetry as he puts his word on paper that he includes that detail. A small detail, easy to leave out, but I think there's meaning there. That she took her jar to the water well to get it filled with one need, and Jesus intersects her, okay? And in this intersection, it kind of spins her into this whole new need that she leaves running off. That kind of, the, the metaphor for me, the imagery is that I came, with, I came with one need and my life was changed and now I'm just going to tell everybody, everybody about it. I just met the man who I've heard so much about. Now I get it. I've got to tell everyone, even even I got to tell all my ex-husbands on this one. Okay, verse 31. Meanwhile, <laughs> there's so much humor in this one because this is just me right here. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, 
I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Now, men, here's, here's where we come in. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Okay, here Jesus is talking about higher things, eternal things, life-changing things. And the guys are being guys. They're thinking about real food. Who brought the falafels? I mean, why did we have to go hike to go get some if you already have food? And Jesus is just saying, guys, did you not see? I just got nourished by that woman. Did you see her countenance change? Did you see her soul begin to fill up? Did you see the look on her eyes? Did you see her leave that she doesn't have to be defined anymore by the painful decisions of her past? There is something different about her, and that's what feeds me. Verse 34. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. But I say... Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know, in my notes, I circled the word brought and the word joy. That some of you in here, you have experienced that joy of bringing someone, of pointing someone to Jesus and watching their life redirected and transformed and you get the joy out of, I got to play a little part in, in that. And I think God's word speaks to us today in this series. If you're going to love where you live, you have to love the people where, where you live. See, there's a lot of people in our world that need what Jesus has to offer. Now, please hear this. People don't need religion. People don't even need Christianity. People need Jesus. They need an encounter with Jesus. And what joy awaits those of us who actually care and we plant those seeds. Now, I want to make this real practical to you. I want to ask you, my prayer this morning is that God's Spirit is here for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God's Spirit is here. We don't have to summon Him. We don't need to beg Him to be here. That God's Spirit would bring into our hearts and our minds names, actual names of people that we might be able to have spiritual conversations with. Not to convert, but to care about their spiritual condition. And what I want to ask you to do to make this real practical is I just want you to begin, by the rest of the time I'm talking, I just want you to begin writing names down in your notes. Okay? And it should look something like this. this. I took this picture after the first service. This is the one flaky person that wasn't there. Okay, look at on the left-hand side. He's just got names. Brand, Becky, you can't read it. Ryan, Chris, whatever. He's just got a list. That's what I'm asking you to do to make this really, really practical for you. Now, Don't make that public, okay? You know, don't, don't put it on Facebook. Don't list all the names and get a T-shirt silk screened with, you know, look at Becky, you're number four. I'm coming after you, okay? I mean, I am. God bless you, but I'm, I'm going to get you. No, no, you don't do that. Why do you even, li Doug, why, why list the names? Because I want this list to be your prayer list. And all of a sudden, what happens when you begin to pray for people you begin to care for people. 
When you pray for their spiritual condition, all of a sudden your heart begins to soften toward them. And then all of a sudden you see these opportunities for spiritual conversation to take place. Now, what did Jesus do that you and I can learn from? I put some in your notes there, but let me just unpack them real quick. The first is that uh, we can capitalize on common ground. What, did, what was common that Jesus capitalized in that conversation? What was common? Water. Okay? What did he do? He started at the well. The well moved to water. Water moved to thirst. Thirst moved to a spiritual truth. That you start where you are. What is your common ground? Your kids are on the same sports team. You work out at the same CrossFit gym. You go to the same this. You work in the same office. Whatever is the same, you capitalize on that common ground. That common ground brings you together. The second thing I put in your notes is accept people where they are. This is one of the biggest hurdles in having spiritual conversation is as soon as you throw up a wall of judgment... You judge their lifestyle or their choices. And I know it's easy to do. Like in Orange County, when I see a, a middle-aged man, you know, about my age, with a toupee and a sports car and a gold medallion and a shirt open, you know, I, I, you know, I just, I kind of have one of those, you know, I just, I throw up this, this wall of, of judgment, okay? So I understand this. But as soon as we judge, here's what we do. We create this me versus you mentality. And instead of having free-flowing conversation with someone, all we're thinking about is the alcohol in their breath or their skull tattoo on their, their neck. Whatever it is, a wall goes up and conversation goes down. Because when you don't accept people, you don't care for people. Okay? Now, imagine what if it would have looked like this. Imagine Jesus walks to the well sits down and says to this woman, Hi, I'm Jesus, the Messiah. And I already know who you are. You're the town tramp. Okay? And I, I'm disgusted by your blatant disregard for the laws of marriage. And if you weren't so sleazy, I would talk to you about spiritual things. But <laughs> you made your own bed. Well, unmade your Whatever. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm not going to talk to you. Have a good day now. Guys, where's my food? All right. Now, God in the flesh doesn't do that, does he? Okay. He doesn't, you know, he, he, he accepts her. He accepts her. Okay. The third thing I put in your notes is to risk sharing your spiritual story. When I was first a Christian, I was taught that you need to have a kind of the four happy hops to heaven. You need to be able to, if you get somebody trapped in an elevator, you need to have a 30-second speech to convert them. And I wish I wouldn't have learned that because it was really never, never effective. And I want to challenge you. The goal is not to convert. The goal is to have a spiritual conversation. And when you risk and share a part of your story, I know how, how difficult that is. And some of you, you maybe don't want to start with a story. You want to start with a statement. And that's okay. Start there. Move from a statement into a story. Jesus started with a statement. You can't use his because he said, I am the Messiah. Okay, you can't do that. But you might have a statement. What is a statement? Hey, tomorrow we're going to church. We've... Um, 
we've found something at Mariner's Huntington Beach that's just interesting and um, would love for you to join us. That's a statement. Hey, some of us meet in my house on Wednesday night. We're studying the person and the teachings of Jesus. You might find them fascinating. Welcome. That would be a statement. You could say this. I used to have whatever, whatever problem, alcohol, drugs, anger, bad marriage, or any million other human struggles, but you know, Jesus has changed things with me. That's what I mean by a, uh, a statement. You don't have to have it all together to have a spiritual conversation. You don't have to be spiritually perfect to have a spiritual conversation. When I'm in a conversation with somebody, what I'm listening for is I'm listening for their story. Because okay, watch what happens. Here's their story. I've got a story, and God's got a story. And somewhere in this triangle of stories, and I listen to their story carefully, I might bring able to bring a little bit of my story, which would bring a little bit of God's story, and help that person write really a new spiritual story for them. As for me, whatever it is, I'll typically, I'll typically go to a moment in my life that was changed. Something like, it could be spore. I, you pick anything, I can transition and say, you know, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a professional athlete, and then I found out you had to be good. And then uh, I was kind of at a loss, and a buddy of mine invited me to church because at church, he said, there was cute girls and there was this comedian, and both were important to me. So I went to church on his invitation, and the girls were really cute, and the comedian was really funny, and the comedian talked about the difference between laughter and joy, and as soon as you leave here, the laughter is going to go away, but joy lasts, and then he connected joy to Jesus, and at that point, I went, if that's true, if what that guy said is true, I want that. So I started investigating Jesus. That's my story. What's your story? Okay. Are you tracking with me? That wasn't preachy. It wasn't phony. It wasn't pushy. Okay. But it's a risk to share any connection of you and Jesus. And last is to expect God to do his part. You know what? If somebody doesn't respond to God's love and forgiveness and hope for eternity... You're not a loser. You're not a spiritual loser if they don't convert. Let me say it this way. Your job is not to convert them. Okay? Your job is to love them and to care for them and plant the seeds because it's God who converts a heart. I've spoken in Orange County in the church world for about 30 years. And every once in a while, I'll come up, somebody will come up to me and say, Oh man, you changed my life. And I smile as tenderly as I can. I say, no, I didn't. Because I can't change a life. Only Jesus can change a life. Now, I might have pointed you in that direction. I might have got you to think about something. But only Jesus changes the life. This is what I mean by expect God to do his part. And I put in your notes there, they may not convert, but I can care. Because when God gets involved, incredible things happen. Look what happened at the woman at the well, verse 40. When they, the Samaritans, came out to see him, meaning Jesus, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. I love that. It wasn't because of the woman, 
Although she told them and she directed them to Jesus, they believed because of Jesus. Friends, you don't have to have all the right answers. You just need to be faithful. And it might begin with a tennis ball that bounces your way. And instead of running from it, pick it up. Embrace it and see what happens. Last Saturday, I was in Kansas City speaking at a men's conference. And I was talking to this guy afterwards, and he was telling me about his life change. He was talking about him and his wife getting baptized, how their marriage was struggling, but it's now just Jesus. He's just, he's just praising Jesus. His kids were dedicated, and he's just telling me about his life has so changed. And I said, where did all this start? And two feet away was his best friend. And he said, he brought me. And I paused with this guy for a second, and I went over to him, and I said, do you realize what he just said? I get the chills even retelling you the story. I said, Jesus changed him, but you pointed him in the right direction. What joy do you feel right now that you got to play a small part in that? And I say that to you. Look around. Look at these empty seats. Somebody on that list, maybe you don't have all the theological answers for them, but you can risk a spiritual statement. You can risk a comment about your own life. You can risk an invitation. Everybody wants to be invited to something. There's chairs for them. If we're going to love where we live, we have to love where we live. Make sense? Just by show of hands, how many of you think you might be able to put some of this into play this week? Let me see. Okay. Now, if you want to try to remember it, because most of us forget a message like in an hour, you're going to forget it. I, it's my message. I did it three times, and I'm going to forget it in about two hours. So I'm not having real high expectations. But if you want to remember how to care, this is a little cheesy. My wife makes fun of me for this. But I just want you to see the first letter of each word of those four lines that I gave you. Just circle C-A-R-E. That's how I remember it. C, capitalize on common ground. A, I'm going to accept them. R is I'm going to risk. And then E is I'm going to expect God to show up. Okay? Let's pray together. As we pray, I want you to just to pause for just a second, and I want you to pray for the names that you wrote down. Pray for them. Not to convert them, but to care for them. Jesus, I pray that as we leave today, we won't be the same people as when we came. That through the power of your spirit, through my broken and messy and very fallible words, that you would work in our hearts to make us more like you. I pray that you would give us a heart to care for the people that you have brought into our world. Not the pressure and the guilt that comes along with trying to convert them, but to care for them as you modeled so well with this woman at the well. May we have different eyes as we leave here today to see those who need an encounter with you and to respond. We pray in the name of Jesus.